Section 51, Introduction The saints from the various parts of New York arrived in the vicinity of Kirtland during May 1831, and the two main bodies were camped at the Morley Farm and on the farm of Lehman Copley at Thompson, Ohio. Bishop Edward Partridge undertook to organize the Colville Saints at Thompson according to the law of consecration described in section 42. By the latter part of May, he found it much more difficult to set up this order than he had thought. He therefore appealed to Joseph Smith to seek a more detailed instruction from the Lord, and the following revelation was received shortly after section 50. Orson Pratt was present when this revelation was given, and he observed the prophet very closely as the revelatory power of inspiration came over him. He says there was no great noise or physical manifestation, but Joseph was as calm as the morning sun. However, he did notice a change in Joseph's countenance. He said, quote, his face was exceedingly white and seemed to shine. Unquote. And this is quoted from the Revelations of the Prophet Joseph Smith by Lyndon Cook, C-O-O-K, page 69. Joseph calmly dictated this revelation as follows. Hearken unto me, saith the Lord your God, and I will speak unto my servant Edward Partridge, and give unto him directions. For it must needs be that he receive directions how to organize this people. For it must needs be that they be organized according to my laws. If otherwise, they will be cut off. This revelation was directed to Edward Partridge, who had the awesome responsibility of setting up the inheritance or stewardships for each family. The Lord emphasizes that it must be done according to the law described in section 42. Otherwise, those who resist this law must be cut off. Wherefore, let my servant Edward Partridge and those whom he has chosen, in whom I am well pleased, appoint unto this people their portions, every man equal according to his family, according to his circumstances and his wants and needs. In section 42, the Lord has said that the person who wishes to join the holy order or law of consecration must deed over to the bishop all of his possessions or property. The bishop then describes the stewardship which he intends to assign to this person, and it must be mutually agreeable. The bishop then deeds back to this person all that he will need to carry out his assignment. In some cases, the steward will give more than he gets back. The residue will be retained by the bishop to set up stewardships for the poor or the less fortunate. In that event, the poor or less advantaged will be getting back more than they had originally consecrated. And let my servant Edward Partridge, when he shall appoint a man his portion, give unto him a writing that shall secure unto him his portion, that he shall hold it, even this right and this inheritance in the church, until he transgresses and is not accounted worthy by the voice of the church, according to the laws and covenants of the church, to belong to the church. The bishop is in the position of the master doling out the inheritances as Jesus described them in the stewardships of the parable of the talents 
and the parable of the pounds. Once there has been an agreement between the bishop and the steward as to the amount each individual is to receive, the bishop is then to make out an irrevocable deed describing the property being given back to this person as his stewardship. And if he shall transgress and is not accounted worthy to belong to the church, he shall not have power to claim that portion which he has consecrated unto the bishop for the poor and needy of my church. Therefore he shall not retain the gift, but shall only have claim on that portion that is deeded unto him. Here is a most interesting provision. If a steward transgresses and is cut off from the holy order of consecration, he gets to take out everything that has been deeded to him but he cannot claim that which he deeded to the order for the poor. He lost control over it when he consecrated it. At the same time, a poor man can claim everything that was deeded to him for a stewardship. Therefore, in that event, he will be taking out much more than he originally put in. Later on in Missouri, we find Bishop Partridge trying to protect the order from cheaters by only leasing property to the members of the order instead of giving them an outright ownership in the form of a deed as the Lord had instructed. When Joseph heard about it, he severely reprimanded the bishop. It is true that the system permitted an occasional cheater, but such reprobates would not be cheating the order as much as they would be cheating their very souls. And thus all things shall be made sure according to the laws of the land. By setting up the order with actual deeds instead of leases, it satisfied the contractual relationship which had been adopted by the laws of the land. And let that which belongs to this people be appointed unto this people. That which had been turned over to a steward by an irrevocable deed gave the individual outright ownership and fee simple. And the money which is left unto this people, let there be an agent appointed unto this people to take the money, to provide food and raiment according to the wants of this people. This verse requires that an agent such as the bishop be set up to receive the general funds from which can be issued money for food, raiment, and other wants of the people. And let every man deal honestly and be alike among this people, and receive alike that ye may be one, even as I have commanded you. The wants of each steward will vary according to his stewardship. For example, a steward operating a dairy may want to build up a herd for a more efficient production of milk. But his neighbor who is doing research and teaching in school may consider even one cow a burden. If each steward is given what is needed from the common treasure and thereby provides through his stewardship for the general good, then all benefit, and if each steward is honest, then everyone is operating to the advantage of everybody else. And thus, as the Lord says, they are one. And let that which belongeth to this people not be taken and given unto that of another church. Wherefore, if another church would receive money of this church, let them pay unto this church again according as they shall agree. And this shall be done through the bishop or the agent, which shall be appointed by the voice of the church. These three verses prevent the development of monopolies. 
Each order is to remain independent and not loan or borrow from another order unless there is an arrangement for an early payback. And again, let the bishop appoint a storehouse unto this church, and let all things both in money and in meat, which are more than is needful for the wants of this people, be kept in the hands of the bishop. And let him also reserve unto himself for his own wants, and for the wants of his family, as he shall be employed in doing this business. And thus I grant unto this people a privilege of organizing themselves according to my laws. These verses provide for a storehouse of money and produce, and the bishop is to receive a stipend for administering the storehouse. And I consecrate unto them this land for a little season, until I the Lord shall provide for them otherwise, and command them to go hence. And the hour and the day is not given unto them. Wherefore let them act upon this land as for years, and this shall turn unto them for their good. Behold, this shall be an example unto my servant Edward Partridge in other places, in all churches. And whoso is found a faithful, a just, and a wise steward shall enter into the joy of his Lord, and shall inherit eternal life. Verily I say unto you, I am Jesus Christ, who cometh quickly. In an hour you think not. Even so. Amen. The instructions contained in section 42 and 51 are designed for Bishop Edward Partridge and all of the various congregations throughout the church. This suggests that each congregation had its own order. Now we have a historical note. On April the 39th, 1832, Emma gave birth to twins, a boy and a girl, but they only lived about three hours. The boy was named Thaddeus and the girl was named Louisa. Emma had given birth to three children and all had died in their infancy. She was heartbroken. However, the same day a set of twins had been born to Julia Murdoch, the wife of John Murdoch, but she had died an hour later. John Murdoch was beside himself, not only because of the loss of his wife, but he was left with twins and three other small children. For several days, Joseph was busily involved with the general conference of the church in Kirtland. But as soon as it was over, John Murdoch approached Joseph and Emma and asked them to adopt his twins in place of those Emma had lost. The Murdoch twins were then nine days old. The little boy was adopted and given the name of Joseph Murdoch Smith. The little girl was adopted and gave him the name of Julius Smith. The two tiny infants were a great comfort to Emma. Section 52, Introduction On Friday, June third, 1831, the Fourth General Conference of the Church was held at Kirtland, Ohio. However, Joseph Smith's notes give the date as June 6, 1831, one remarkable thing about this conference is the fact that it was attended by 2,000 people, and that's according to the Life of Joseph Smith by Cannon, page 113. However, we are not told what facilities they used for this huge congregation. The events of this conference included the ordaining of several men to the office of high priests. Brigham Young and Heber C. Kimball were never ordained high priests, 
because Brigham Young said they were being ordained apostles, and that had the authority to organize the church from top to bottom, first to last. And that's in the Journal of Discourses, Volume 1, page 136. For this same reason, Joseph Smith was never ordained a high priest. During a powerful sermon by Joseph Smith at this conference, he was led to say, quote, that John the Revelator was then among the ten tribes of Israel, who had been led away by Shalmaneser, king of Assyria, to prepare them for their return from their long dispersion, unquote. This is in Essentials of Church History, page 126. Joseph Smith was also led to say that during this conference, the man of sin would be revealed. The very next day, Harvey Whitlock and John Murdoch were both bound by an evil spirit so they could not speak. Joseph Smith rebuked the spirit in the name of the Lord, and it departed. On the second day of the conference, either June the 4th or June the 7th, 1831, depending upon whose chronology you use, Joseph Smith received the following remarkable revelation. Behold, thus saith the Lord unto the elders whom he hath called and chosen in these last days by the voice of his Spirit, saying, I, the Lord, will make known unto you what I will that ye shall do from this time until the next conference, which shall be held in Missouri, upon the land which I will consecrate unto my people which are a remnant of Jacob, and those who are heirs according to the covenant. Here was sensational news. The Lord said he will be directing the work of the saints from now until their next conference, which will be held in Missouri, where the land will be consecrated for God's covenant people. Wherefore verily I say unto you, Let my servants Joseph Smith, Jr. and Sidney Rigdon take their journey. As soon as preparations can be made to leave their homes and journey to the land of Missouri, and inasmuch as they are faithful unto me, it shall be made known unto them what they shall do. This was an abrupt announcement. Here the saints are just getting gathered in Kirtland, and Joseph Smith and Sidney Rigdon are suddenly ordered to leave as soon as possible for Missouri to consecrate that land. And they are told that if they are faithful and follow instructions, the Lord will tell them what to do when they get there. And it shall also, inasmuch as they are faithful, be made known unto them the land of your inheritance. And inasmuch as they are not faithful, they shall be cut off, even as I will, as seemeth me good. The Lord is very direct and says he now plans to reveal their land of inheritance, but only if they are faithful. If not, they will be cut off from the church and replaced. Never has the Lord been so forceful and direct in talking to Joseph and Sidney. And again, verily I say unto you, let my servant Lyman White and my servant John Corrill take their journey speedily, and also my servant John Murdoch and my servant Hiram Smith take their journey unto the same place by the way of Detroit, and let them journey from thence preaching the word by the way, saying none other things than that which the prophets and apostles have written, and that which is taught them by the Comforter through the prayer of faith. Let them go two by two, and thus let them preach by the way in every congregation, baptizing by water, and the laying on of the hands by the water's side. 
Altogether, there will be 28 elders sent to Missouri. They are commanded to travel two by two and preach the gospel as they go. They are to baptize and set up branches of the church wherever possible. Since they will be traveling without purse or scrip, preaching along the way will allow them to seek food and housing as ministers of the gospel. For thus saith the Lord, I will cut my work short in righteousness, for the days come that I will send forth judgment unto victory. The Lord now tucks this verse into the revelation to remind these elders that while they may suffer persecution and various hardships, the Lord will not always require his saints to endure tribulations, because at some point he plans to suddenly cut short his work in righteousness and let a severe judgment fall upon the oppressors of the saints so that they can build up the Lord's kingdom in triumph. And let my servant Lyman White beware, for Satan desireth to sift him as chaff. And behold, he that is faithful shall be made ruler over many things. In verse 7, the Lord assigned Lyman White to be one of the missionaries, but now he goes back, almost as an afterthought, to warn Lyman to beware, or he will be sifted by Satan like chaff. Actually, Lyman remained a faithful member of the church and was a fierce defender of the faith as long as Joseph was alive. In fact, in 1841, he was appointed an apostle. However, by 1843, he was tried in Far West for teaching false doctrine. Nevertheless, he acknowledged his error and was forgiven. However, when Joseph Smith was assassinated, Lyman vowed he would not be subject to the apostles. He also refused to go to the mountains, even though Joseph Smith had predicted it. Instead, he teamed up with George Miller and led a small group of dissident saints to Texas, where he died outside of the church in 1858. The Lord seemed to anticipate these developments in verse 13 by reminding Lyman White that only the faithful will become the rulers of many things. And again I will give unto you a pattern in all things, that ye may not be deceived. For Satan is abroad in the land, and he goeth forth deceiving the nations. Wherefore he that prayeth, whose spirit is contrite, the same is accepted of me, if he obey mine ordinances. He that speaketh, whose spirit is contrite, whose language is meek and edifieth, the same is of God if he obey mine ordinances. And again, he that trembleth under my power shall be made strong, and shall bring forth fruits of praise and wisdom, according to the revelations and truths which I have given you. And again, he that is overcome and bringeth not forth fruits, even according to this pattern, is not of me. Wherefore by this pattern ye shall know the spirits in all cases under the whole heavens. It may have also been the zealous, strong-willed temperament of Lyman White, which induced the Lord to use a certain pattern of behavior in discovering those who are acceptable to God and those who are not. First, a person who utters impressive prayers is only acceptable to God if he obeys the ordinances of the gospel. Second, a person who is contrite in spirit and whose sermons edify the saints is only acceptable to God if he obeys the gospel ordinances. 
Third, he that seems to tremble in humility under the power of God shall not be the less appreciated because the Lord will make him strong in propounding the revelations and wisdom of the gospel which God has revealed to the saints. The Lord said all of the elders are to be judged by this pattern because they are all expected to conform to it. The Lord then proceeds to name all of the other elders who are assigned to go to Missouri. And the days have come. According to men's faith it shall be done unto them. Behold, this commandment is given unto all the elders whom I have chosen. And again verily I say unto you, Let my servant Thomas B. Marsh and my servant Ezra Thayer take their journey also, preaching the word by the way unto this same land. And again, let my servant Isaac Morley and my servant Ezra Booth take their journey, also preaching the word by the way unto this same land. And again, let my servants Edward Partridge and Martin Harris take their journey, with my servants Sidney Rigdon and Joseph Smith, Jr. Let my servants David Whitmer and Harvey Whitlock also take their journey, and preach by the way unto this same land. And let my servants Parley P. Pratt and Orson Pratt take their journey and preach by the way, even unto this same land. And let my servants Solomon Hancock and Simeon Carter also take their journey unto this same land, and preach by the way. Let my servants Edson Fuller and Jacob Scott also take their journey. Let my servants Levi W. Hancock and Zebedee Coltrane also take their journey. Let my servants Reynolds Cahoon and Samuel H. Smith also take their journey. Let my servants Wheeler Baldwin and William Carter also take their journey. And let my servants Newell Knight and Selah J. Griffin both be ordained and also take their journey. In the last verse we had an implication that just as Newell Knight and Ceda J. Griffin are to be ordained and also take their journey to Missouri, so it would be expected that this would be the pattern for all of the missionaries. They will each be ordained or set apart to fulfill this sacred assignment. Yea, verily I say, let all these take their journey unto one place, in their several courses, and one man shall not build upon another's foundation, neither journey in another's track. In this verse the Lord seems to be saying that they are to meet at one place when they arrive in Missouri, but each pair of missionaries is to follow an independent route so that they do not follow in one another's tracks on the way to Missouri. He that is faithful, the same shall be kept and blessed with much fruit. Here is the promise of the Lord that if these missionaries labor diligently on this journey, they will be blessed with a substantial number of converts and set up the foundation for many branches of the church. And again I say unto you, let my servants Joseph Wakefield and Solomon Humphrey take their journey into the eastern lands. Let them labor with their families, declaring none other things than the prophets and apostles that which they have seen and heard and most assuredly believe, that the prophecies may be fulfilled. Here is a surprise, because Joseph Wakefield and Solomon Humphrey are to go east instead of west. Their assignment is to raise money among their relatives and members of their families 
to send to the bishop in Missouri to buy land for their future inheritances. In consequence of transgression, let that which was bestowed upon Heman Bassett be taken from him and placed upon the head of Simon's rider. Still, here is another surprise. An assignment which was given to Herman Bassett is to be taken away from him and placed on the head of Simon Ryder. Apparently the Lord is setting up Simon Ryder for God's judgment, which will descend on him before the summer is over and after he has become one of Joseph Smith's most violent enemies. And again, verily I say unto you, let Jared Carter be ordained a priest, and also George James be ordained a priest. Here are two brethren who are not yet ready to be ordained elders, but will be ordained priests to assist in the temporal affairs of the church. Let the residue of the elders watch over the churches, and declare the word in the regions round about them, and let them labor with their own hands, that there be no idolatry nor wickedness practiced. The elders who remain at home to preside over the various branches of the church are specifically commanded to instruct the saints in the principles of the gospel, but not ask the branches to support them. They are to labor with their own hands so that there will not be priestcraft among the branches of the church. And remember in all things the poor and the needy, the sick and the afflicted, for he that doeth not these things, the same is not my disciple. Among the many new converts to the church, there are some who are suffering from hardships of various kinds. The Lord wants it established as a characteristic of the one true church of Jesus Christ that the members will extend themselves to take care of the poor, the sick, and the afflicted. And again, let my servants Joseph Smith, Jr., and Sidney Rigdon and Edward Partridge take with them a recommend from the church. And let there be one obtained for my servant Oliver Cowdery also. Here is a primary procedure which has become an established principle in the church. The Lord wanted Joseph Smith, Sidney Rigdon, Edward Partridge, and Oliver Cowdery to carry with them a recommend from the church in Kirtland. The recommends were to assure the saints of Missouri that these four men were in good standing and authorized ministers in the gospel. And since these men were to serve as agents of the saints in setting up inheritances and collecting funds for the same, it was vital that the members know that they were certified agents and authorized to do business on behalf of the church. And thus, even as I have said, if ye are faithful... Ye shall assemble yourselves together to rejoice upon the land of Missouri, which is the land of your inheritance, which is now the land of your enemies. But behold, I, the Lord, will hasten the city in its time, and will crown the faithful with joy and with rejoicing. All of the saints looked upon Missouri as the region for the New Jerusalem, in which the members of the church would hope to acquire an inheritance. There is a hint in this verse, however, that the building of the city is not immediate. Nevertheless, the Lord says he will, quote, hasten the city in its time, unquote. Behold, I am Jesus Christ, the Son of God, and I will lift them up at the last day. Even so, amen. It was already being taught in the church 
that the righteous saints would be caught up before the burning of the earth in connection with the second coming. Section 53. Introduction. It is interesting that among the 28 elders called on missions to go to Missouri, one of the most devoted supporters of the prophet in Kirtland, Algernon Sidney Gilbert, was not included. This must have hurt him deeply because immediately after the list was announced in the previous revelation, Gilbert appears to have gone before the Lord in fervent prayer to ask why he wasn't included. And since he was left out, what should be his assignment in the kingdom? The Lord is anxious to make it up to this devoted man, and the following revelation was the result. Behold, I say unto you, my servant Sidney Gilbert, that I have heard your prayers, and you have called upon me, that it should be made known unto you of the Lord your God concerning your calling and election in the church, which I, the Lord, have raised up in these last days. Sidney is assured that his prayer has been heard. This gives us some idea of Sidney's tender feelings, which had been aroused by the fact that he had not been included among the elders who were being sent to Missouri. Nevertheless, the Lord assures him that his prayers have been heard, and he will now be advised concerning his calling in the church. Behold, I, the Lord, who was crucified for the sins of the world, give unto you a commandment that you shall forsake the world. The Lord is calling Sidney Gilbert to give up his secular profession as a merchant and forsake the world. This is like the Savior's calling to Peter and Andrew. Mark says, quote, And straightway they forsook their nets and followed him, unquote. And that's in Mark 1.18. Take upon you mine ordination, even that of an elder, to preach faith and repentance and remission of sins according to my word and the reception of the Holy Spirit by the laying on of hands. Sidney was told to accept the ordination of an elder and proclaim the first principles of the gospel, including repentance, baptism, and the conferring of the Holy Ghost by the laying on of hands. And also to be an agent unto this church in the place which shall be appointed by the bishop, according to commandments which shall be given hereafter. Furthermore, he is to become an official agent of the church and function at a place which will be identified for him by the bishop in accordance with the commandments that are yet to be delivered from the Lord. And again, verily I say unto you, you shall take your journey with my servants Joseph Smith, Jr. and Sidney Rigdon. Now comes the reward for all his prayers. Elder Gilbert is told to go to Missouri in the company of Joseph Smith and Sidney Rigdon, and that, of course, means that he will be in the company of Bishop Edward Partridge and Oliver Cowdery. This means he is not only going to Missouri as a missionary, but he is going with the top leaders. Behold, these are the first ordinances which you shall receive, and the residue shall be made known in a time to come according to your labor in my vineyard. Elder Gilbert is told to only be concerned with these preliminary ordinances for the present time, but others will be made known to him in the future as he receives additional responsibilities in the kingdom. And again, I would that ye should learn that he only is saved who endureth unto the end. Even so. Amen. And now comes the singular truth 
that no matter how valiant and zealous a person may be in the church for a period of time, only those who endure to the end can be saved. This doctrine of, quote, enduring to the end, unquote, is one of the most difficult to implant in the minds of those who join the church. So many can be valiant for a stretch of time, but to endure to the end is beyond their capacity. Section 54. Introduction. The saint from Colesville, New York, had felt fortunate to find a place in Thompson, Ohio, which was owned by a new convert named Lehman Copley. He entered into a contract to let them occupy his land and agreed to join with them in having Bishop Edward Partridge set them up under the Lord's law of consecration. This involved the consecration of all property to the order and then have the bishop deed back to each family whatever was needed to carry out the stewardship which that family had been assigned. Any surplus property was retained by the bishop to set up stewardships for the poor. The well-to-do saints agreed that their surplus property became the property of the order, so the bishop could deed it over to the poor and help them get set up in their respective stewardships. Shortly after the conference in early June 1831, Newell Knight, who was in charge of the program at Thompson, came to Joseph Smith deeply distressed. Lehman Copley and Ezra Thayer were both residents of Thompson and had asked to participate in the law of consecration with the saints from Colesville. Now Copley wanted to withdraw his land on which the order had been established, and Ezra Thayer, along with certain others, had exhibited an attitude of selfishness and broken their covenants. It seemed as though the entire order was falling apart, and Newell Knight wondered if he should even continue being in charge. Joseph took this distressing situation to the Lord, and this is the revelation he received. Behold, thus saith the Lord, even Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, even he who was crucified for the sins of the world. Behold, verily, verily, I say unto you, my servant Newell Knight, you shall stand fast in the office whereunto I have appointed you. The Lord first identified himself as the one who was speaking to Newell Knight and then instructed Newell to remain in charge of the Colesville saints from New York. And if your brethren desire to escape their enemies, let them repent of all their sins and become truly humble before me and contrite. The Lord said the saints at Thompson can only escape from the enemies that have suddenly appeared among them by repenting themselves. Apparently this spirit of jealousy, selfishness, and pride was like a contagion spreading among the people. The Lord said they must become humble and contrite in order to get the main body of the saints back on the gospel track. And as the covenant which they made unto me has been broken, even so it has become void and of none effect. The Lord was not in the least hesitant to tell the saints that their covenants with him were now broken and therefore non-existent. This, of course, changed everything. And woe to him by whom this offense cometh, for it had been better for him that he had been drowned in the depth of the sea. The Lord said that there was a great curse on those who were responsible for the crumbling of this inspired order. 
He said it would have been better for them who were responsible for this disaster if they had been drowned in the depths of the sea. But blessed are they who have kept the covenant and observed the commandment, for they shall obtain mercy. Nevertheless, those who remained faithful and tried to honor their covenants would be rewarded. Then the Lord made an announcement which must have come as a sobering shock to the entire branch at Thompson. The Lord said, Wherefore go to now and flee the land, lest your enemies come upon you, and take your journey and appoint whom you will to be your leader, and to pay monies for you. And thus you shall take your journey into the regions westward, unto the land of Missouri, unto the borders of the Lamanites. So they were going to leave Ohio and flee to Missouri. This meant they were headed for Zion and the site of the new Jerusalem. Hallelujah! And after you have done journeying, behold, I say unto you, Seek ye a living like unto men, until I prepare a place for you. They were no longer subject to the stewardship order, but they were to return to the principles of private ownership and prosperity and competitive free enterprise. Nevertheless, the Lord said he would endeavor to find an appropriate place for them where they could practice the higher law. And again, be patient in tribulation until I come. Behold, I come quickly, and my reward is with me, and they who have sought me early shall find rest to their souls. Even so, amen. But the Lord knew the long trip of more than 840 miles would have numerous tribulations and sacrifices. He urged the saints to be patient and long-suffering because the Lord had great aspirations for his people, and his plans would begin to unfold quickly. Section 55, Introduction About the middle of June 1831, when all of the brethren were preparing for their mission to Missouri, a new convert named William W. Phelps came to Kirtland. He was seeking to know the will of the Lord concerning him and his family. Phelps was 39 years old. He was well-educated, a very forceful writer, and he had closed up his printing establishment in Canandaigua and brought with him one of the most powerful testimonies of the Book of Mormon the saints in Kirtland were likely to hear. He wrote it up later as follows. By that book I learned the right way to God. By that book I received the fullness of the everlasting gospel. By that book I found the new covenant. By that book I learned when the Lord would gather scattered Israel. By that book I saw the Lord had set his hand the second time to gather his people and place them in their own land. By that book I found a key to the holy prophets. By that book I found a key to unfold the mysteries of God. And by that book I was made glad. And this is quoted by Ivan J. Barrett in his book Joseph Smith and the Restoration, page 184. Joseph Smith inquired of the Lord for any instructions he might have for this talented William W. Phelps. And here is what the Lord said. Behold, thus saith the Lord unto you, my servant William, yea, even the Lord of the whole earth. Thou art called and chosen, and after thou hast been baptized by water, which if you do with an eye single to my glory, you shall have a remission of your sins, 
and a reception of the Holy Spirit by the laying on of hands. It is from this verse that we realize that this man had come to Kirtland with his family in pure faith. The Lord therefore wants him to be baptized and have the Holy Ghost conferred upon him. And then thou shalt be ordained by the hand of my servant Joseph Smith, Jr. to be an elder unto this church, to preach repentance and remission of sins by way of baptism in the name of Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God. And on whomsoever you shall lay your hands, if they are contrite before me, you shall have power to give the Holy Spirit. The Lord says he wants Brother Phelps ordained an elder by Joseph himself. William W. Phelps will then have the authority to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ and to baptize and to confer upon believers who are worthy and contrite the gifts of the Holy Ghost. And again you shall be ordained to assist my servant Oliver Cowdery to do the work of printing and of selecting and writing books for schools in this church that little children also may receive instruction before me, as is pleasing unto me. Brother Phelps received his assignment in the church from the prophet. He is to be the assistant to Oliver Cowdery in the office of officially printing the books of the church. He is also to select and participate in writing books for the children of the church, which will be pleasing unto the Lord. And again, verily I say unto you, for this cause you shall take your journey with my servants Joseph Smith, Jr. and Sidney Rigdon, that you may be planted in the land of your inheritance to do this work. Here was a surprise. William Phelps had just arrived in Kirtland, but the Lord directed him to accompany Joseph and his associates on the mission to Missouri. The Lord said this is being done so Brother Phelps can be planted in the land of his inheritance to do this work. And again, let my servant Joseph Coe also take his journey with them. The residue shall be made known hereafter, even as I will. Amen. And while the Lord was at it, he mentioned that Joseph Coe should also accompany this group. Section 56, Introduction The missionaries were about ready to set out on their trek to Missouri. But Ezra Thayer, who had been a troublemaker in Thompson, was quite indolent in getting ready to accompany Thomas B. Marsh on this mission. Thomas B. Marsh brought this situation to the attention of the prophet Joseph, and he received the following revelation. Hearken, O ye people who profess my name, saith the Lord your God. For behold, mine anger is kindled against the rebellious, and they shall know mine arm and mine indignation, in the day of visitation and of wrath upon the nations. This revelation begins in a menacing tone. The Lord is angry with the indolent and rebellious among those who claim to be Latter-day Saints, and his wrath will be felt by those rebels when his judgment comes upon the nations. And he that will not take up his cross and follow me, and keep my commandments, the same shall not be saved. The Lord even goes so far as to say that these rebels will not be saved. In other words, their very salvation is at stake. Behold, I the Lord command, and he that will not obey shall be cut off in mine own due time, after I have commanded and the commandment is broken. 
The Lord says that when he has given a commandment to the members of the church and they refuse to obey, they will be eventually cut off from their membership in the church. Wherefore I, the Lord, command and revoke as seemeth me good, and all this to be answered upon the heads of the rebellious, saith the Lord. The Lord says he can give commandments, but when the rebellious ignore his commandments, those orders can be revoked, and the guilty will have to bear the consequences. Wherefore I revoke the commandment which was given unto my servants Thomas B. Marsh and Ezra Thayer, and give a new commandment unto my servant Thomas, that he shall take up his journey speedily to the land of Missouri, and my servant Selah J. Griffin shall also go with him. So at this point the Lord wishes to revoke the commandments he had given earlier and issue new commandments. He revokes the missionary commission to the dilatory Ezra Thayer and assigns Selah J. Griffin to leave immediately with Thomas B. Marsh for Missouri. For behold, I revoke the commandment which was given unto my servants Selah J. Griffin and Newell Knight, in consequence of the stiff-neckedness of my people which are in Thompson, and their rebellions. Wherefore, let my servant Newell Knight remain with them, and as many as will go may go that are contrite before me, and be led by him to the land which I have appointed. Now Celia J. Griffin had originally been assigned to go to Missouri with Newell Knight, but the Lord says he will now have Newell serve as the leader of the Colesville Saints on their journey to Missouri, and that will leave Celia J. Griffin free to be a companion with Thomas B. Marsh. And again verily I say unto you, that my servant Ezra Thayer must repent of his pride and of his selfishness, and obey the former commandment which I have given him concerning the place upon which he lives. And if he will do this, as there shall be no divisions made upon the land, he shall be appointed still to go to the land of Missouri. Otherwise he shall receive the money which he has paid, and shall leave the place, and shall be cut off out of my church, saith the Lord God of hosts. And though the heaven and the earth pass away, these words shall not pass away, but shall be fulfilled. Now the Lord dealt with the troublemaker Ezra Thayer. The Savior says Thayer's membership in the church depends upon evidence of his being repentant and getting rid of his arrogant pride and selfishness. He apparently had rejected the place of inheritance which the bishop had assigned to him, although he had paid for the land and then changed his mind and demanded his money back. The Lord says that if he keeps his original agreement, he will still be allowed to go on a mission to Missouri, but not with Thomas B. Marsh, of course. Verse 10 states that if Ezra Thayer refuses to keep his original covenant, he will receive his money back and then be evicted from the land and excommunicated from the church. The Lord vows that he will surely fulfill this decision one way or the other. And if my servant Joseph Smith, Jr. must needs pay the money, Behold, I, the Lord, will pay it unto him again in the land of Missouri, that those of whom he shall receive may be rewarded again according to that which they do. For according to that which they do they shall receive, even in lands for their inheritance. 
Of course, if the bishop does not have the money to pay Ezra there, and Joseph is compelled to pay it, then Joseph will be repaid with land in Missouri. Behold, thus saith the Lord unto my people, You have many things to do and to repent of. For behold, your sins have come up unto me, and are not pardoned, because you seek to counsel in your own ways and your hearts are not satisfied, and ye obey not the truth, but have pleasure in unrighteousness. In these two verses, the Lord issues a severe scolding of the church members in general. They claim they have repented when they have not. There are too many like Ezra there who want to run the law of consecration according to their own selfish and greedy desires. They want to bend the rules to suit themselves. They will not support the bishop in the decisions which he makes. Woe unto you rich men that will not give your substance to the poor, for your riches will canker your souls, and this shall be your lamentation in the day of visitation, and of judgment, and of indignation. The harvest is past, the summer is ended, and my soul is not saved. Obviously, the Lord is very disgusted with the members of the church who are more well-to-do than the average members. They are selfish and lack the generous spirit of sharing, which is required of righteous members of the church. They may not realize it, but the Lord warns the rich that their selfishness may rob them of their salvation. Woe unto you poor men whose hearts are not broken, whose spirits are not contrite, and whose bellies are not satisfied, and whose hands are not stayed from laying hold upon other men's goods, whose eyes are full of greediness, and who will not labor with your own hands. There is also a class of poor people who are very displeasing to the Lord. These are the spiteful poor, the ones who covet the goods of the more fortunate, and even excuse themselves in stealing from time to time because they feel they are justified. Then the Lord is especially angry with those who are nothing more than lazy, indolent, shiftless, idle tramps. His chief complaint is that they will not work. The Lord's rule is that they who will not work will not eat. But blessed are the poor who are pure in heart, whose hearts are broken and whose spirits are contrite, for they shall see the kingdom of God coming in power and great glory unto their deliverance for the fatness of the earth shall be theirs. For behold, the Lord shall come, and his recompense shall be with him, and he shall reward every man, and the poor shall rejoice. But the Lord has nothing but unlimited praise for the righteous poor. These are they who labor under adverse or difficult circumstances, but remain faithful and hardworking in building up the kingdom. The Lord says the kingdom of God is theirs, and they shall receive their full reward in the day when God grants unto each according to his worth. And their generations shall inherit the earth from generation to generation, forever and ever. Now I make an end of speaking unto you, even so. Amen. Ultimately, it is the righteous rich and the righteous poor that shall inherit the earth from generation to generation. Section 57 Introduction 
Barely was the June conference over in 1831 when the whole focus of Joseph Smith and the church leaders was concentrated on the journey to Jackson County, Missouri. At last the Lord said he was ready to identify the new land of Zion and the site of the new Jerusalem. On June the 19th, 1831, Joseph Smith recorded that he departed for Missouri. There were seven men and one woman, the wife of Algernon S. Gilbert, in the prophet's wagon. About this time, all of the missionary teams left for Missouri, preaching along the way. It was 880 miles from Kirtland to Independence, Missouri, and Joseph's company took 30 days to reach their destination. They traveled by wagon, stagecoach, riverboat, and on foot. Upon his arrival, Joseph was elated to be told that he had the thrill of seeing the very place where the Garden of Eden had flourished. However, the town of Independence represented the most humble, backward fringe of what might be called civilization. The highest elevation in the town was a mere hill on which sat a small log courthouse built five years earlier. The town had only three stores, which were mostly in the business of stocking wagon trains heading west. There was a total of 20 houses, mostly built of logs with dirt floors, mud-plastered chimneys, and windows that were without panes and had to be covered with quilts or Indian blankets to keep out the cold. The entire county had a widely scattered population, but was fairly well settled with 2,823 people. They nearly all dressed in buckskin, both men and women, as well as the children, although a few adults had garments of homespun cloth, which they wore on Sunday. Joseph said it was difficult to move around the town without observing the, quote, degradation, leanness, and intellect, unquote, and backward culture of a people who were, quote, a century behind the times, unquote. And this is from the History of the Church, Volume 1, page 189. The first worship service of Joseph's company and the missionaries who had been working among the Lamanites was held on July 17, 1831. William W. Phelps gave the gospel discourse, and the congregation was described as, quote, specimens of all the families of the earth, unquote, meaning whites, blacks, Lamanites, and miscellaneous members of the community. After the service, the people who had been previously converted were baptized. On July 25th, the Colesville branch from Thompson, Ohio, finally arrived. After surveying the region, they decided the rolling hills of Jackson County would be difficult to cultivate, and they therefore chose the flat prairie lands about 12 miles southwest of Independence along the Blue River. This is now a suburb of Kansas City. Joseph and his associates helped the Colesville Cinch begin to get settled and then return to Independence. Shortly thereafter, Joseph received the first of four revelations. Here is the mighty revelation they had all been waiting for. Hearken, O ye elders of my church, saith the Lord your God, who have assembled yourselves together according to my commandments in this land, which is the land of Missouri, which is the land which I have appointed and consecrated for the gathering of the saints. Since the days of Adam, this special precinct of the planet Earth had been a favorite spot on which the beneficence of God had focused, 
Not only was it the site of the Garden of Eden, but the Lord had monumental plans for this special area before the millennium. It not only will be the Lord's great Zion for the pure in heart, but the site of the New Jerusalem. Of course, the saints who were gathered in this early epic had no idea their ultimate gathering was still far in the future. Wherefore, this is the land of promise and the place for the city of Zion. The Lord says this is a land of promise and the place for the building up of the city of Zion, which will be the glorious New Jerusalem. At that time, the saints would never have believed what this promised land would have to endure before it was redeemed. Nevertheless, the saints would learn through hardship and sacrifice what had to be endured before the new Jerusalem would rise up in all its glory. Losing Zion in the next few years would be part of the vital education of the modern church. And thus saith the Lord your God, If you will receive wisdom, here is wisdom. Behold, the place which is now called Independence is the center place, and a spot for the temple is lying westward upon a lot which is not far from the courthouse. During this time, Joseph Smith was receiving revelation upon revelation. He knew exactly where the temple would be built and where the city would be located. Wherefore it is wisdom that the land should be purchased by the saints, and also every tract lying westward, even unto the line running directly between Jew and Gentile. The key to the successful occupation of this precious land was buying up all of the surrounding territory. The Lord had in mind the optimum sacrifice of the saints so that they could purchase and occupy all of the land between the Gentiles and the Jews or Lamanites. Had the saints been more righteous, the Lord would have somehow made this possible. But as we shall learn when we come to section 101, this generation of saints wasn't up to the task. And also every tract bordering by the prairies, inasmuch as my disciples are enabled to buy lands. Behold, this is wisdom, that they may obtain it for an everlasting inheritance. The assignment of the members of the church to gain total control of every tract of land for their everlasting inheritance was imperative. Within two years, the members of the church would learn through the most bitter persecution and eviction the supreme wisdom of the Lord set forth in this verse. And let my servant Sidney Gilbert stand in the office to which I have appointed him, to receive monies to be an agent unto the church, to buy land in all the regions round about, inasmuch as can be done in righteousness, and as wisdom shall direct. The Lord designates Sidney Rigdon as the agent to promote this gigantic undertaking. Note that he is assigned to acquire the land in, quote, all the regions round about, unquote. He is to set up a master plan so that this can be done in righteousness as wisdom shall direct. And let my servant Edward Partridge stand in the office to which I have appointed him, and divide unto the saints their inheritance, even as I have commanded, and also those whom he has appointed to assist him. The Lord next honors the presiding bishop, Edward Partridge, to stand in his most difficult position 
and exercise the responsibility between himself and the help of his assistants to designate the inheritance of each family under the law of consecration. And again, verily I say unto you, let my servant Sidney Gilbert plant himself in this place and establish a store that he may sell goods without fraud, that he may obtain money to buy lands for the good of the saints, and that he may obtain whatsoever things the disciples may need to plant them in their inheritance. The Lord also anticipates the mass migration of pioneer companies to the West. Already the demands for wagons and equipment far exceed the capacity of the three tiny stores in Independence. He commands the experienced merchant, Sidney Gilbert, to, quote, plant himself in this place, unquote, and get the reputation of selling goods without fraud. The Lord knew this would grow into a huge mercantile business overnight and put the three little stores virtually out of business. The Lord felt that in short order, Sidney Gilbert would be able to have the money necessary to buy up the land and give all of the gathering saints the inheritances they needed. And also let my servant Sidney Gilbert obtain a license. Behold, here is wisdom, and whoso readeth, let him understand, that he may send goods also unto the people, even by whom he will as clerks employed in his service. In this verse the Lord projects the concept of a chain store network that will rapidly expand into every community set up by the Latter-day Saints and thus provide for my saints, that my gospel may be preached unto those who sit in darkness and in the region and shadow of death. Not only does the Lord expect that this modern chain store system will serve the saints, but they will be the means by which many of the Gentiles and Lamanites will become admiring friends and be brought into the church. The astonishing aspect in all of this is the supreme wisdom of the Lord. He just needed a body of righteous, obedient saints to make it all come to pass. And again, verily I say unto you, let my servant William W. Phelps be planted in this place and be established as a printer unto the church. The Lord also knew that with the missionaries going to every nation, kindred, tongue, and people, they would need tons of literature to spread the gospel message. Therefore the Lord said that William W. Phelps, a professional printer, should be, quote, established as a printer unto the church, unquote. This was not to be a corner print shop, but a massive operation designed to serve the whole church. And lo, if the world receive his writings, behold, here is wisdom. Let him obtain whatsoever he can obtain in righteousness for the good of the saints. This verse tells us that William W. Phelps was going to be doing a lot of writing as well as printing, and he was to obtain the writings of others, for example, like the Pratt Brothers, which would be published for the good of the saints. And let my servant Oliver Cowdery assist him, even as I have commanded, in whatsoever place I shall appoint unto him, to copy and to correct and select that all things may be right before me, as it shall be proved by the Spirit through him. Furthermore, the Lord wanted quality products, and therefore Oliver Cowdery was to be appointed as assistant to William W. Phelps to proofread and make sure everything is correct 
which is published and distributed in the name of the church. And thus, let those of whom I have spoken be planted in the land of Zion, as speedily as can be with their families, to do those things even as I have spoken. The Lord makes it very clear that he wanted the Zion movement and all its ramifications to be done speedily. He wanted the saints to be gathered speedily. He wanted them to be assigned their places of inheritances speedily. And he wanted them to be assigned their stewardships under the law of consecration in a rapid and efficient manner. And now concerning the gathering. Let the bishop and the agent make preparations for those families which have been commanded to come to this land as soon as possible and plant them in their inheritance. Actually, Joseph was just learning how to organize and administer the church. But with the Lord's guidance and a righteous, obedient people, a miracle could occur. The Lord wanted to hold up in the vision of this revelation the promised miracle that was needed. That is what this revelation was all about. And unto the residue of both elders and members, further directions shall be given hereafter. Even so. Amen. This is a comforting verse. If the residue of the elders are puzzled about their assignments and how all of this will be brought about, just stand by. More instructions will be forthcoming. Truly a master planner is in charge. If you liked this podcast and would like more materials by W. Cleon Skousen, you can find his other books and recordings at skousenlibrary.com or at your local LDS bookstore.